0: To even take your Bible, if you would please, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 5. Matthew, chapter number 5. Last Sunday night, I let our church family know, I, I haven't done this on a regular basis, but I feel led to the Lord to do this now. Let me encourage you. One of the things we do for the new year is we try to read through the entire Bible as a church together through the new year. If you have not done that, may I encourage you to do that. If you need a Bible reading schedule, uh, we can provide one of those for you. In the process, when I started that again this year, uh, I got to Matthew chapter number five. I think I'm almost finished with the book of Matthew now. But when I got to the, I've read this chapter many, many times, and yet when I got to it, It's like the Lord said, I want you just to slow down. I want you to go back and study those passages. And so both tonight, we started last Sunday night, both tonight, this morning, and tonight, and until we finish just the Beatitudes, not all the Sermon on the Mount, I I want us to talk about characteristics of a consecrated Christian. Consecrated means I'm set apart for God's use. And God gives us in the Beatitudes the things that he's looking for. Do you want to be closer to the Lord? I do as well. Somebody said it this way. uh, I want to soar. Uh, The book of Isaiah says uh, that if we get close to the Lord, we'll soar as eagles. Uh, And so this gives a characteristic to do that. Look in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, and stand with me, please, as we read in unison together. I'm going to, each and every time that we speak on this, I'm going to read all of the Beatitudes, and so I want us all to read together uh, all of the verses instead of skipping. Begin in verse number one together, please. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake I want to talk to you about we're going to each and tonight we'll take the second beatitude mourn and I'll talk we're going to break this down just kind of uh just take one thought And each and every message just dwell on that one thought. I want to talk to you this morning. If I'm going to walk with the Lord and be consecrated to Him, I've got to be poor. You said, Preacher, I don't like to be poor. I don't think it means what you're thinking it means. Let's look at it this morning together, please. Father, help us in this time. I thank you for visitors and guests. Father, I'm excited that you have answered prayer And based on those answers to prayer, some people are here today that we prayed for. I ask you to continue to watch over Brother Tom Chavez. Please strengthen him. Thank you, Father, for sparing his life. I ask you, Father, to strengthen Brother Paul E. Hart, Brother George Sane. And I ask you, Father, to touch. Thank you for, I don't know how the week ended, but middle of the week as we talked to Lucy that Jim was maintaining his weight level. Continue to watch over Jim. Father, I pray you'd strengthen both him and Lucy, he and Lucy. And I know that the last couple of weeks of chemotherapy and radiation are taking place. But Father, I pray that you touch his body as only you can as a great physician. We praise you for what you have done and what you will do. And Father, I pray, help me uh, to rightly divide the word of truth. And I pray that both this morning and tonight, as we study the Beatitudes, and Lord willing, if you give us next week, as we break another one or two down, that you would change us for Christ's sake. Holy Spirit of God, would you speak to us? Well, thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Oh, dear love count for something to leave their mark when life is through but their pursuits will count for nothing time will erase whatever we do i want my life to count for jesus For earthly things will quickly fade, no need to add to worldly riches, I only seek eternal care.
0: Inside my heart there burned a question. What was I placed on earth
1: here for? It truly was to build a kingdom not of my own. Us. For earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. Only one life, so soon it will done For Christ will last Only one chance To do His will So give to Jesus all your days It's the only life that pays When you recall You have but one life Jesus. For earthly things will quickly fade. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. I only seek
0: been fighting voice problems and I think Brother Josh and brother Stephen have as well. I'm thankful that song was scheduled for two weeks ago Sunday and I praise the Lord for helping us to get through it. I want now let me say this to you this is uh, this is what I think we should call uh, expository preaching where we just take a text, break it down, try to see what the Lord says to us. It's not topical that we're not going to necessarily take a topic although, Each and every message will deal with one topic. Once saved, each of us will determine to what level we are willing to pay the price and walk close to the Lord. If you're saved and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, your salvation is eternally secure. Not because I believe that or the Baptist Church believes that, although we do but because the Word of God tells us so. But your salvation is eternally secure, but your relationship with the Lord is something you and I determine. How close to God do you want to get? This was, and it is said, this is the most famous sermon Jesus Christ ever spoke. And this sermon is the most eloquent, powerful sermon that was ever delivered. Augustine described it as a perfect standard for the Christian life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his classic book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said this, on this mountainside, the message of mankind, the message to mankind from the great Savior makes the greatest influence outside on the Christian faith. And those who do not, did not trust our Savior also looked at this as the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount, and they were affected by it. Gandhi based his political approach on the words of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Hitler and his followers spent a lot of time attacking each and every one. Hitler didn't want any poor minded people, Hitler didn't want people in his those that he was going to lead to mourn, to be poor in spirit. so he attacked it viciously. So anyway you look at it, the fact, of the Sermon on the Mount has had more impact than any other sermon that has ever been preached. but I want you to look at this setting. If you go back to verse number one, it said Jesus saw the multitude and he departed into a mountain to pray. Can I say this to you? Can I encourage you to have a spot that is just yours and the Lord's? Just you and God. If I go back to Hiles Anderson College where I graduated, my wife and I both, there's some sacred spots on that campus. If I went to offer the campus what we call Baptist City, I would go to, they were letter dorms, there were only... I think, 10 dorms there, so A, B, C, D, E, F, G, well, whatever whatever the 10th letter is. I can go to H dorms, and I can walk in if they still look to the same, four dorm rooms with two men each on each dorm. I can go to the back dorm, and I can find a sacred place where God heard and answered so many of my prayers. As Kathy and I begin to courtship, I could take a walk around the lake, as Kathy and I often did. I could find a a bench uh, that swung out by the lake where a lot of the couples went and just had some alone time together. And as we talked about life and what God was leading us to, those are sacred places. Do you have such a place? Because you need it. Jesus did. Oftentimes, He departed. Now, He's up in the mountain. It's just He and His disciples. But here's what was happening. Christ's ministry had begun to blossom and snowball, and and people were being brought to him to, to heal him, and he healed them, and he opened blinded eyes, and he raised the lame, and all of this, and his word started to just spread, and his fame spread. So now he's pulling apart, and he's taking some time with his disciples, and he is saying I want to spend some time with you because you, in, in just a matter of days, you are going to be asked to turn the world upside down. And your ability to do so is based on your relationship with me. I want to begin by pointing out these words in the statement, blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's look at the word blessed. I have said myself, and I think I've heard others say, that the primary root meaning of the word blessed or blessed is happy, and that, why that while that is true, it's not the primary meaning here in the in the Beatitudes, because happiness is subjective, right? You could be happy today uh, if you if you if you went home tomorrow, and you went to your mailbox, and you got a letter, and it said something like this, and it was written from a lawyer, a lawyer's office, and it said something like this. I represent, and there was a name there, and little did you know that you had a rich aunt or uncle, grandma or grandpa that just passed, and they left you a million dollars. Are you happy? Because if not, I'll take it from you, and so you, I don't want you to be unhappy, but you're happy, aren't you? But the million dollars is gone, your happiness wanes, doesn't it? Happiness is subjective right? It's based on circumstances, and this is not a feeling. The Lord is not saying, I want you to feel happy. This word blessed, and I've studied this and studied it in the last couple of weeks, it simply means this in the Greek. It means to be approved of God, to meet God's approval. In other words, in let's put it today, it means this, That God watches your life, and instead of a frown, He smiles on your life. Approved of God. Now, so when every time, and I'll remind us of this, when we look at this, whatever beatitude, it doesn't necessarily mean happy as much as it means approved of God. I ask you this, are your finances approved of God? Are your relationships approved of God? I had a, a man, I don't know him, his name Morton Fortell. I don't know Brother Bliss or Brother Fine or some of you men know this man. I don't know how he got my email address or I got his. I don't even know if the man's a Christian. But he helps build strong marriages. I got a message from him this week, an email, and he said this. We're just kind of yawning, aren't we? The president's son is dating Kimberly Guilfoyle. But he was having an affair with her before, while well, his marriage is still intact. And then we look, and then the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, has been married for twenty-five. This is Morton Fortell telling me, "I'm not. Don't get mad at Pastor here." He's telling me, this, "Why do we do this? We applaud Mr. Bezos. We applaud a young Mr. Trump because he's found a new love." And nobody is standing and saying, wait a minute, is it not still adultery? They're married. You see what I'm saying? So I, I think about this. When we look at this and we think about this, I know that they tell us, Pastor, if you want to fill the pews, you better not preach that. The number one man who's trained more preachers in America than any other young man said this, don't preach on sin. Can I say this to you? If it's in this book, we've got to preach on it, Amen. and we should. I want you to come, and I want you to be blessed, and I believe that if you listen as the Holy Spirit has led me in my heart, and, I, I, and we take the Word of God, I think you will be blessed. Now, I want you to understand that these facts are positive. He's not saying, here's what you, in order to walk close to me, to be consecrated, to soar like the eagles, you've got to be really, really poor. You've got to mourn. You've got to be down and out. These are positive statements. They're more do's than don'ts. How come the world that doesn't know Christianity thinks that Christian faith is a bunch of don'ts? Do's and don'ts. You know what? I think about this. Once you get saved, the do's and the don'ts don't bother you, do they? They don't. It's kind of like, have you ever gone? I think they have one in San Diego. They have one up north somewhere somewhere. Michigan, Chicago, somewhere in that area. Have you ever gone through a drive through a, a safari-type park? I, I, I was watching one recently, and they had signs like this, this park. It said this, no hunting, no fishing, no camping, no picnicking, no trespassing, no hiking, no photography. This is your park. Enjoy it. So some of you are saying, preacher, I, I don't want you to dip into the Beatitudes because it's a bunch of don'ts. No, no, no. It's a bunch of do's. And if we do these things, we're going to enjoy our walk with God. So we look at this. What exactly does poor in spirit mean? I think the best way to get that answer is to rule out the misconceptions of what it does not mean. It does not mean low self-esteem. It doesn't mean beat yourself down. It doesn't mean you've got to act like a Christian. You've got to, you've got to act like you've got to eat, eat oats through a stovepipe. Your jaw's dragging. You don't have a smile on your face. You never tell a joke. You don't, and when somebody tells a joke, you let them have it because you can't laugh because we're poor in spirit. That's not the Christian walk. It's not the Christian walk. Did you laugh this week? You think Jesus laughed? I was with Marvin and Agnes yesterday, and a man was conducting a meeting. And he said this. Now, don't get. He said my sister, sometimes is in, is intellectually challenged. He said she smokes. And one time she was pumping her own gas, and she pumped the gas, and some of it splashed back on her, on her coat or, her her, her whatever she was wearing, and she got in the car and lit a cigarette. Guess what happened? Woof! Her hand caught on fire, so she jumps out of the car and she's waving, trying to get it out, and a policeman came and shot her. You can't wave a firearm at a police officer. <laughs> huh? Now you say some people say, Preacher, don't do that. Stick to the word. Don't ever use humor. I believe this honestly. God gave us a sense of humor, didn't He? Huh? So it's not saying, don't ever laugh. It's not saying that we should should beat ourselves down. It's not saying to pretend to have mock humility. It's not saying that. It's not saying not to have material goods. Let me prove to you that's wrong. Because God tells us in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, say it with me if you know it. Give and it shall be given unto you. So God said... Now, if we don't have any means, we're poor. We don't have any means to give to either to God or others. How can we give? We can't. So God is not saying, it does not mean that God is against wealth or the the making of money. I want you to take your Bible, Psalm 37. Go with me very quickly. So then what does it mean? The fact of the matter is this. I'm going to give you a point blank statement. God does not sanction poverty in this biblical message. He's not saying, I want you to be poor. Psalm 37. Watch verse number, read together verse number 25. What does it say? I have been young and now am old, yet I have, I, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. So we know this, that's Old Testament passage, the New Testament, the the, uh, Beatitudes, back it up. He's not saying, drain your bank account. He's not saying, take a vow of poverty. That's misconception. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not saying, now back to Matthew chapter 5. So what is he saying? I'm going to give you, as close as I always get myself in trouble when I dip into the Greek just a little bit. I've studied this. Follow with me. In this, there's two words. If you look, some of you may have a strong concordance. There's two words for poor in the Greek language. Let me give both of them to you. The first is the Greek word penes And it means this. It means a person who has a meager living. They barely make it. Paycheck to paycheck. They don't, they don't live frivolously. It's just paycheck to paycheck. They don't have a big fancy car or a house. penes that's one word. It's not used here. Poor in spirit is not, peness is not used here. The other word is tokas. Well, what does this one mean? It means that is a person that has no resources and you are totally dependent on someone else. Let me give you an analogy. When we think of peness, think of the woman, the widow who brought how much money to the offering and and put it in the offering. How much? Two mites. She was pinness. She had very little, but she brought of her, not of her treasure. She brought two mites and cast it into the treasure. She was pinness, But she was not, according to the Greek language, she was not tokos because she had something. She was eating. Now, I want us to think of Lazarus as tokos. And everyone here, when we think about this morning, to be poor in the spirit, I want you to think of yourself spiritually where you are. Are you the widow woman that you've got some spiritual things yourself, and I can kind of do this thing? I just need the Lord to kind of come along and sanction what I'm doing? Or are you like Lazarus? I have no power of my own. Without me, Jesus Christ said, ye can do? Tocas. Nothing. Brother Colin, you can't teach that Sunday school class. Brother Bliss, you can't and I can't. And Brother Fine, we can't be that associate pastor. You can't work the altar. You can't do anything that God has called you to, To cost until and unless you're poor in spirit. Totally bankrupt without him. Are you the widow woman that cast in the two mites? Or are you like Costs. Now, listen, the American culture says, you got it, you can do it, let's roll, pull yourself up by uh, your own bootstraps, you can do this. And God is saying, If you want to know my power, if you want to draw close to me, if you want to soar with the eagles, the attitude of your heart and mine is this. Tokas, God, I'm just like Lazarus. I'm dead. I can't raise myself from the dead. But if I'll hear your voice and I obey you, then you will make me poor in spirit. And by doing that, I will walk with you to a greater degree than I've ever walked with you before. Pinesse. Describes most Christians. I got saved. I'm missing hell. I got a good life. And you know what? Occasionally I get a prayer answered or two. God just come go with me through life. You'll never know God like you want to know God. I'll never know God until it comes to the place where I am to I have nothing. I can tell you times in my life. And I pray that this is an attitude of my heart, still to this present day. After seven years of Bible college training, and our first stop in ministry, I meant this with all of my heart. We candidated a church in Louisiana and they called us. And I remember going there, and I told my wife this: don't unpack the boxes. As soon as they find out I can't teach, I can't preach. I can't do what they called me to do. They'll ask us to leave. Sweetheart, don't unpack the boxes. And I knew that's what was going to take place. But each and every day, before I ever stood up for the first time, they gave me an office. And Brother Bill, I found my place in that office. And down on my face before God, I didn't come to him and say, God, I'm panace. I have some ability, but I need you to just add. I said, Lord, I am tokas. I have no ability. I have no power. I can't stand to do what they've called me to do. God, would you come? Would you be my lips? Would you come? Would you meet with these folks? And lo and behold, after the first time, Young couples, they're easy to please. Had that class, and some of the young couples said, man, Brother Rogers, that was good. We'll come back next Sunday. I said, you mean it? Really? You're coming back? Yeah. And can I say this to you? That's how we began ministry. It better be, Brother Stephen. It better be, Brother Josh. It better be, Brother Bliss and myself and Brother Bill and all of you that do ministry here. It better be the attitude of our heart to this present day. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've built, right now, as you see yourself and I see myself, when I come to this sacred place every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, I can look to God and say, I'm Tukas. I have no power. I have no ability. I have no way to do what you've called me to do. But God, if you'll come and through your spirit and through your word, if you'll speak and you'll move, then God, something will be done for eternity. Let's go further. Simply what the Lord is stripping away then is, God, I have education He's stripping away the arrogance. He's stripping away the strong, the independent, the successful, the popular, the religious, the movers and shakers. And he's saying, I'm one-on-one. And until you realize and understand, without me, you can't do nothing. You and I are not poor in spirit. We can't do anything that will really count for the cause of Christ. We must be poor in spirit. I ask you this. Now, let's look at how that develops in our lives. Can you earn your salvation? Are you peness? I'm just a little bit. I need a little push. We're tokas. You can't save yourself. I can't save you. The waters of baptism can't save you. Truth of the matter is, each and every one of us, by birth, we are separated from God because of our sins and a holy God. And before Him, we have no bearing, no standing. But aren't you glad that one named Jesus Christ, the eternal begotten Son of God, came and lived a sinless life and died on Calvary's cross? And when he said, It is finished, now his offering, his sacrifice can become ours. It's not that I just need to turn over a new leaf, be a better person. We are tokas. Can we do just enough to get into heaven? Look in your Bible, Psalm 40. Can we do just enough? To get into heaven. Are we peness? We just need to be a little better. And God surely will let us in. In your Bible in Psalm chapter 40. And look at verse number 17. David describes himself. He uses as close as we can get to the Hebrew word. Our Greek word. I am poor and needy. Was David poor? No he was not Poor. But in spirit, David is saying, God, I've got got all this treasure. I have this might. I have everything. But, Father, the truth of the matter is this. Now, watch what he says. I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and deliver. Make no tarry, O my God. Now, back to Matthew chapter number 5. Unfortunately, many works-based faith systems disagree with what I'm speaking They teach that we can do enough to earn our salvation. And even Christian, pious, foolish people sometimes embrace these proud, arrogant ways. And they say that one day God's going to weigh their good deeds and their bad deeds. And if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, then you know what that means? I'm panace. I've got, do you know what our good deeds are? What is the best thing you did this week? Brother Stephen and I had the privilege of going out and watching again kind of what Cherie and Loretta and Skyla and this Logan and this family does. Um, I'm blown away. Open a community center, shop the groceries, make the meals, sweep the floors, wipe the tables so some senior people that wouldn't otherwise have a meal will have a meal four days a week. And and Cherie and, and those of you Can I say this to you? You do all of that without asking God to bless it. It's just wasted. What's the greatest thing you did this week? You helped somebody. You made a meal. You you, you helped somebody. And I'm going to say this to you. The Bible says in the book of Romans that all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. Let me tell you what those rags were. There were posts. There were lepers in that day. And the lepers had boils and sores. And they couldn't scratch. Pussy rags that dripped with those soars and went down and the Lord said think about the greatest thing you can do it's like those rags want to serve God you want to walk with him you can't do panace we've got to be tukos. it means I have no ability I have no, uh, uh, I have no reason for God to use me this religion teaches that every good deed is a payment made the problem is how many of you got a credit card that's maxed out Make the monthly payment, and you may never pay it off. You made a payment. God, see what I did? See the good deed? He said, yeah, I saw that good deed. It's like filthy rags. So what does this mean? Theoretically, if we could pay for our sins, we're forgetting several things. Number one, we don't know the cost of sin, do we? We don't know the cost. What does it cost? I mean, the price. You think about this? You turn down however you come to church, wherever you go on the other side of town. What's what'd you pay for gas this week? How much a gallon? Two what? 17. Where did you get it for? $217. Walmart, Walmart. Walmart, $217. All right, what'd you pay for gas? Ladies, could you tell me, Cherie, I'm sure you could. Could you tell me what a pound of hamburger cost? Could you watch this? We got prices everywhere. Here's what this costs. Here's what a gallon of gas costs. Here's what this car costs. Here's what this house costs. Can anybody tell me what sin costs? Sin costs the the loving, only begotten Son of God to be nailed to a cruel cross. That's what your sin and my sin cost. We don't understand what sin costs. Number two, we think about this to make matters worse. Not only we do not know the cost of our sin, we don't know the occasion of our sin. You say, Preacher, what are you talking about? I remember sitting as a little boy, 12 years old, in a Sunday school class and realizing that Sunday school class for the first time it was wrong to hate my enemies. So for 12 years, I've been hating my enemies. Just realized it when I was 12, when the Sunday school teacher stood up and said, you can't do that. We don't know the cost of sin. We don't know the occasion of our sin. And we don't know that each and every one of us commit each and every day and week of our life's secret sins. We didn't even know that it was a sin. What does James say? We studied this Sunday night, Wednesday night. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. You see, we can't pay for our sins. We are without means. For example, if there's a grace period when it comes to paying for our sin, our credit cards allow a minimal payment. Does God allow a minimal payment? Huh? You can charge you can charge five thousand dollars on your credit card, and your payment's twenty five bucks. Some of us are thinking that God is the Chase Bank God. I'm just going to try to do a few things and. God will understand. And God said, I want to walk with you. I want to pay for your sins, but you have to be poor in spirit. Now back to Matthew chapter 5. Go with me very quickly. The Apostle Paul says the purpose of God's law was to help us to understand that we were lost and undone before him. You know, people oftentimes, Ted Turner did this. I remember years ago hearing Ted Turner say, you know what's wrong with you Christians? Christianity is just a crutch to get through life with. (laughs) Colin, you had surgery. Do you use crutches? Crutches aren't a bad thing. I don't want to be on them a length of time, but crutches are a good thing. You can get up. You can kind of walk around. I ask you this, child of God. Do you know what I thought about for a while? I got mad at Ted Turner and said, you rascal. Then I realized he's right. I need him. Every day, every moment, I don't need panace, God, I don't need you to come. My life is kind of good. I'm kind of a, I think I can kind of do this pastor thing, this husband thing. But I realize this, there comes a time in my life I realize from husbanding to be a good dad, to be a good pastor, a faithful pastor, I am not panace, I'm tokos. I don't have any ability. And can I say this to you? You are not ready to walk with God, and I'm not ready to experience Him until we adopt the same attitude. What are we saying here, child of God? Are you a cripple? What was the Old Testament example? Mephibosheth. Remember him, little boy, that whose nurse, faithful nurse, was. Taking him and leaving as the enemies were coming, and she tripped and fell, and Mephibosheth was crippled on his feet for the rest of his life. I'm a Mephibosheth. You're a Mephibosheth. We're crippled by a fall. Romans five twelve. Whereby one man sin into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all of sin. We understand that. We understand that we are we are before God. I think. Let's wrap it up. Here's what it says. Being poor in spirit, that means I'm powerless. Is that you? Is is there anybody here that would like to have God's power in your marriage? Is anybody here that would like to have God's power in rearing your children? Anybody here that wants God's power in ministry that God has called you to, then we understand this. In poor in spirit, we are powerless. In poor in spirit, we are spiritually bankrupt, helpless before God. In, in poor in spirit, we realize that we're moral and clean, and we're, we have a personal unworthiness before God. Without God, our wings are clipped. We cannot soar. Let me show you the second thing. Why would Jesus begin his sermon with his particular beatitude being poor in spirit? I believe this to be true. The next one we'll talk about tonight is mourning. Let me say this to you. You'll never mourn unless you're poor in spirit. And if you'll mourn. Then you'll grieve over that morning. You'll become meek. And if you're meek, you will seek and hunger the things of righteousness. And if you seek and hunger the things of righteousness, you'll be pure in heart. You'll be a a peacemaker. But you're also going to be persecuted. America doesn't like Christians. Did you read what I read in the Worldwide News this week? And I cringed. In the Netherlands... They're putting Christians and pastors in prison in the Netherlands for this. To have the audacity to say that marriage is between a man and a woman. It is coming to America. America doesn't like Christ, doesn't like Christians. And I say this to you: to be poor in spirit, we have to understand our power comes from Him. You can't become a Christian unless you're poor in spirit, and once becoming a Christian, you can't be anything of God until you adopt this spirit. If you study world uh, U.S. history, and I didn't realize this till studying for this lesson, Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe, two founders of our Declaration of Independence and presidents, were friends. Anybody know what Thomas Jefferson's house is named? Monticello. Any of have been there? Monticello, you've been there? I would love to go. They say it's quite a place. I didn't know, but Jefferson built Monroe's house. And they were very close together. But here's what he did. As a joke, he did this. He, Jefferson intentionally made the front door of Monroe's house so low that Monroe would have to bow down as he walked through it, and as he walked through it, he saw Monticello. I didn't know that. Huh? Let's do an application. Preacher, I'm saved on my way to heaven. Are you walking with him? Do you feel his nearness? We've got to get so low. That the Lord said, okay, I see the attitude, the poor in spirit. You you understand, without me, ye can do nothing. I ask you a couple of questions. How do we embrace this, this attitude? Number one, first, regularly, daily, ask God to see your sin as sin. Stop excusing sin. Say, God, I want you to help me, and may I be convicted about when I sin, and God, may I see the sin as you. Secondly, stop comparing yourselves to others. Everyone in this room is better than someone else. True? Stop comparing yourselves. When Isaiah became Tichos. When he saw in the year, I think it's chapter 7 of the book of Isaiah, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord mighty and lifted up. And what did Isaiah say? Somebody help me. Three words. Woe is me. That spirit the reason God chose prophet Isaiah and, and used him in a mighty way. And the reason he took the, 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 the coals off of the altar and touched Isaiah's lip. Because Isaiah became poor in spirit. And he said, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do what you call me to do. Woe is me. And God said, okay, now you're where I want you to be. I'm going to end the lesson with this this morning. As a child of God, think about this. I want to soar with the Lord. I want to walk with him. I want to know of his closeness, his nearness to me. I want to know what it is for God to work in my life. Here's where it begins. Poor in spirit. How do you look at yourself spiritually? Are you panace? Like the widow? I've got something to give to God. Are you? Ticos. I'm bankrupt. I'm a Lazarus. I need the Spirit of God and the Word of God to come and breathe on me and take this, as the prophet of old said, take this valley of dry bones, the dry bones in my heart and my mind, and I want Him to speak and to breathe upon them, and I want, to see, I want to see bone upon bone and sinew upon sinew. I want to feel the touch of God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday when I'm not in church, when I'm not listening to Christian radio. I want God and I to walk together. Are you to cost? Are you willing to understand and bow yourself before the Lord and say, I need you. I need you every day, every hour, and every moment of my life.